Well, good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you here in the Lord's house, and I pray that you've had a good week. Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made, and so uh, I don't know about you, but I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen? Hey, you know what? Just do that for me real quick. Do me a favor. Say amen. amen. Okay, I just wanted to see if y'all could say it. Um, might need it a little bit later. I might call you and ask you to say that a little bit later, but no, seriously, it's good to be in the Lord's house. If you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, if you don't, there's one right there in the seat back. Take that Bible and turn to John chapter 9 this morning, John chapter 9, and as you can see, I want to talk to you. We've been kind of doing this, this Jesus, this, this series, Jesus, and then kind of uh, some descriptions, and we talked about Jesus, hope, uh, help for the hopeless, and Jesus, the fortifier of our faith, Jesus, opportunity or obstacle, and today, as you can see, Jesus, sight for the sinner, and what I want you to know is as we begin to our time this morning, we can be encouraged because God is still on his throne. Amen. Hey, see, you can do it. Look at you doing big things, and Linda's not even here. She's out of town. You guys are doing that all on your own. Look at you. And since he's still on his throne, <clears throat> the reality is all things are still possible. Amen? Amen. And uh, what I mean is that no matter what's plaguing our country, no matter what's plaguing this world, no matter what impossible situation that you and I think that we're dealing with, the good news is that Jesus is still the answer. Oh, three or four of you. Everybody, hold on, just a second ago, everybody, well, most of you, some of them, you're like, I ain't saying amen if he gives me a $20 bill. I ain't say it. I just heard a lot of people say amen a second ago, and then I just told you that the good news is Jesus is still the answer, no matter what you're facing. Amen. Oh, man, there we go. And by the way, that's not underestimating your problem, and that's not overstating the solution. He is the hope of the world. And so, uh, <clears throat> man, I got a little frog in my throat, so pray for me. Uh, the reality is it's been said, and guys, if you'll throw it up, it's been said that our impossible situations are some of God's greatest opportunities to reveal His glory. Our impossible situations. Anybody have an impossible situation you're dealing with right now? Or maybe you thought it was impossible. You may be at home and you're dealing with the situation you think that's impossible but I can tell you that he is wanting to work through our impossibilities through his glory. He wants to reveal his glory. Years ago, it was Thomas Malone Sr., the pastor and founding president of the Midwestern Baptist College. He said these words. He said, when God is going to do something wonderful, he starts with the difficult. But when God is going to do something miraculous, he starts with the what? The impossible. And such is the case with the story and the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. As you'll see, if you've already turned to John chapter 9, our text from God's Word reveals this incredible story surrounding a man who was actually born blind. And as we open up our hearts and minds, and as the songs we're talking about, the Holy Spirit falling fresh on this place and this room, as we open up our hearts and minds to what the Lord has for us this morning, I believe that it's crucial for each and every one of us to understand a couple of things about this physical condition that this man was dealing with. He was actually born blind. And so I want us to look for just a couple of minutes from science's perspective. 
And some of you say, science? Did I come to science class this morning? I think it's important that we get a little bit of an understanding from science's perspective before we actually delve into this story this morning. In fact, it may surprise you to know that it was Albert Einstein who once said, science without religion or faith is lame, and conversely, religion without science is, what do he say? Blind. Oh, it's incredibly important for us. By the way, there's always going to be scientists. I know what you're thinking. Man, I'm tired of listening to the science, the science, the science. I'm tired of hearing about science, but here's what I want you to know. There may be some scientists down through the ages, down through the quarters of time, who reject the existence of a creator God. But folks, that's no excuse on our part not to see what science has to say when it comes to the Word of God. Oh, listen, science is our friend. Science is on our side. I can guarantee you, I can assure you that. So I want to consider a couple of amazing facts about our eyes as we prepare to read this passage. You may have not known this, but when conceived in the womb, listen to these facts, the genetic DNA governs a baby's eye growth and begins to grow optic nerves. Travis and Megan, I want you to know that Jeremiah's optic nerves began as the baby was consumed at the exact same time that the optic center of the brain was formed. Now, here's the reality of this statement. If they don't start growing at the same time, there's permanent blindness. Did you know, I was reading also this week, that you could take a child, at the moment a child is born, I mean, you got to be quick, at the moment a child is born, you can put a patch over one eye, if you leave that patch over the one eye for 12 to 18 months, they say that that child will be irreversibly blind in that eye. Because the optic center of the brain and the optic nerves do not communicate and therefore, the eyesight is lost. The retina, or actually, let me tell you this one. One million microscopic optic nerves begin growing from the eye through the flesh towards the optical section of the brain. The retina, which lines the back of our eye, actually receives images, is actually thinner than a piece of paper, and yet its tiny surface, listen to this, its tiny surface contains 137 million sensitive cells. The intricacies of the eye. 95% of those cells are rods. They're rods that are placed there by Almighty God that can analyze black and white images while 7 million cone cells actually analyze color images. Oh, what a wonderful gift from God, scientifically speaking. This man that we're going to read about in John chapter 9, he had no representational intelligence. And you're like, what are you talking about? The reality is he had no images to draw from. Now, the idea that this man was never able to see tells us that he was unable to draw from a stockpile of images. He was unable to pair up any image. So when they said, hey, do you remember when we went to the city of Jerusalem? No, he would have said no. I've never seen Jerusalem. Hey, can you picture what a mountain looks like? No, he can't picture what a mountain looks like. Hey, can you picture the beautiful sun, sun uh, set? No, he could have never pictured those things because he had no representational intelligence. When you and I close our eyes, because most of us in this room, most watching online, have the ability to see, even if with corrected lenses, we have the ability to see, we could actually close our eyes. 
and picture the cool breeze hitting our face. We can close our eyes and see the leaves and the trees waving. We can close our eyes and, and actually picture that beautiful sunset over a beach. We can close our eyes and picture loved ones who have gone on before us. We can close our eyes and picture on and on all the beautiful things of God's creation. But this man had zero images to pull from. No people, no places, anything else to pull from. And to be sure, I think most of us, if we're not, if we'd be honest, I think most of us take our eyesight for granted. Would you agree? We open up our eyes in the morning without a thought. The reality, though, is research tells us that the retina conducts close to 10 billion, B with a B, billion, 10 billion calculations every second. And that's before an image even travels through the optic nerve to the visual cortex. Oh, the magnificence of the eye is incredible to think about. It's incredible to research and incredible to behold. In David Minton's book, The Eye, years ago, it was Dr. John Stevens who put it this way by saying, to simulate 10 milliseconds of the complete processing of even a single nerve cell from the retina would actually require the solution of about 500 simultaneous nonlinear differential equations 100 times and would take at least several minutes of processing time on a Cray supercomputer. He said, keeping in mind that there are 10 million or more such cells interacting with each other in complex ways, it would take a minimum of 100 years. Can you imagine this? It would take a minimum of 100 years of cray time to simulate what takes place in your eye many times every second. Guys, isn't God good? Amen. We ought to say amen. Oh, listen, oddly enough... You know, I was asking Travis, I said, have you ever quoted Charles Darwin in a message? And he's like, no, I don't think I ever have. I said, well, I'm going to quote Charles Darwin tomorrow because it was Charles Darwin, oddly enough, the evolutionist who originally said that both butterflies and humans have descended from a remote common ancestor. But after he completed his origin of species, he finally confessed that the eye to this day, this is what he said, the eye to this day gives me cold shudder because it's an, it's an organ of extreme perfection. You know, Darwin finally got something right. He finally got something right because when he looked at the eye, when he studied the eye, he said it gives me cold shudder because it's an organ of extreme perfection. Folks, do you know why it was an organ of extreme perfection? It's because our creator is extremely perfect. Oh man, what a, what a wonderful mechanism the eye is. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 12, the Bible proclaims that the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made both of them. In truth, this story that we're going to look at in John 9 declares that Jesus' miraculous healing of this man, it wasn't like Jesus was performing some type of surgery, and I know Frank is going tomorrow to have cataract surgery. It's not, Frank, it's not like Jesus was performing cataract surgery. It's not like he was removing some astigmatism. It's not like he was repairing some corneal scar. Jesus was actually doing something that had never done. He was actually establishing that synaptic pathway that had never existed in the man's life before. What a miraculous 
story we have. Look with me. Here's the thing. I, I put down on my note, truly ophthalmologists then or now would have, would have insisted that this man's condition was irreversible. His condition was irreversible. Hold on a second. But God. His condition was irreversible, but God. God who is rich in mercy, wherewith he has loved us, right? He intervened in this man's situation. And so look with me at this story. We're going to walk our way through this story in John chapter 9. And I'll make some comments as we go. But look beginning in verse number 1. And the Bible says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And so Jesus just sees the man, but notice what the disciples do. His disciples ask him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So there's an, uh, there's an assertion by the disciples that the reason this man was born blind was the result of his sin or his parents' sin. Folks, let me just show you, it's right there in Scripture. Uh, listen, not every sickness is the result of sin. Hello? We ought to say amen. Not every sickness is the result of sin. These disciples ask, they say, Who, who's the sinner, Lord? I mean, this guy's sitting here. Who did the sin? Why is he born blind? Notice what Jesus says in verse number 3. Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. That's also a reminder that sometimes God allows bad things to happen to good people for his purposes. Sometimes it doesn't make sense when our loved ones pass away so young. It doesn't make sense when people are dealing with cancer. It doesn't make sense when people go through seasons of hurt, when people lose their jobs and they're financially stressed. It doesn't make sense, but sometimes God allows these things in people's lives so that he might be able to get the ultimate glory through that person's life. Notice he says, he says, it's neither this man's sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. He said in verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh where no man can work. And then notice what he says, verse 5. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation meaning sent. And the Bible says he went his way therefore and washed and came sing. The reality is that in verse number 7 we are reminded that Jesus calls this man and Jesus has called every one of us into action. You say, well, why didn't Jesus just say, like, okay, go away, you know, speak the word, and he's healed. Jesus wanted to uh, see if this man was willing to be obedient. Sometimes Jesus tells us things and says, hey, do this or do that. And he's waiting to see whether we are going to do exactly what he tells us to do. Look at verse number 8. Immediately the man comes seeing, and the neighbors therefore, and they which had, uh, had seen him uh, when he was blind, they said, is this not the same guy who sat and begged? Is this not the blind guy? And then verse number 9, some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But finally, the guy himself speaks up and says, hey, it's me. It's me. I could see. Right? And then look at verse number 10. Therefore said they unto him, how were your eyes opened? 
We've watched you since birth. You've not been able to see anything. How did you come to be able to see? And notice what he says in verse number 11. He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and I washed and I received sight. Oh, listen. A man named Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him? I pray that you do. This guy says, hey, uh, I don't know. He says, I, I don't even know. I was just sitting there minding my own business, doing what I do every day. And all of a sudden, this man named Jesus, he spits on the ground. He puts some stuff on my eyes, and he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He said, guess what? I got up and did what he said to do. That's what we need to do. We need to do what he says to do. Look at verse number 12. Then said they unto him, where is he? They said, where is this man named Jesus? Where is he at? And he said, I don't know. He said, I know not. And then look, look at these, these neighbors, man. Man, sometimes, have you ever had a friend that uh, maybe rubs you the wrong way? Have you ever had neighbors that want to cause a little trouble? Look, look at these neighbors. You thought these people loved him. You thought these people cared about him. And all these that saw the miracle, look what they do. They're like, we're going to tell the Pharisees. Notice what happens right there. Verse number 13, they, they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. So they don't let this guy go. They're like, oh, come with us. We're going we're gonna to turn you into the religious police. We're going to turn you in because it's the Sabbath. What's going on here? See what takes place. Verse 14, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said unto them, hey, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath. And then other Pharisees said, Well, how can a man that's a sinner do such miracles? And so there's a division, there's a divide between the Pharisees. Look at verse 17. They say unto the blind man again, Hey, what sayest thou to of him? That he that opened thine eyes... Notice what the man says this time. Now he's no longer just a man named Jesus. This time the man says, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents. So in other words, the Pharisees, they hear the story. The guy says, hey, he put this stuff on my eyes. I went and washed and I do see. And they're like, no, that didn't happen. You're a liar. And so guess what they're doing? They're going to go get Chuck and Yvonne. They're going to ask Chuck and Yvonne, is this really true? Is this really true? So they, they go to mom and dad, and they go to ask and see what the parents say. But look at verse 18. It says, they didn't believe concerning him, and uh, so they call his parents unto him that received his sight. In verse number 19, they ask him, saying, is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? And his parents answered them and said, we know, we, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, 
he should be put out of the synagogue. So mom and dad are scared to answer. The reality is they're afraid, religiously speaking, that they're going to be put out of the synagogue. And when I mean put out, I don't mean just like uh, uh, being put out. I mean excommunicated out of the fellowship of the synagogue, which, by the way, takes place a little bit later on in our story, and it would have required a vote, a meeting, if you please, of the Sanhedrin to actually make it official. But the parents fear the reprisal of what's going to happen if they answer. And so they say, hey, listen, he's of age. Ask him. And so look at verse 23. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. Verse 24. Then again called they the man that was blind and said to him, give God the praise. Give God the praise. And in other words, when they say give God the praise, you know what they're doing? They're saying, raise your right hand. They're saying, raise your right hand. You're about to give a testimony. You better speak the truth, nothing but the truth, right? And so they say, give God the praise. And he answered and said, <laughs> they said, uh, we know that this man is a sinner. In verse 25, he answers and says, well, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, the iconic words, whereas I was blind, I now see. Wow. Then said they unto him again, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? How did he do this? And he answered, I love verse 27. He says, I have told you already and you did not hear. In other words, this is the third time you jokers have asked me this question. I've already told you. I've already told you twice before and you didn't hear. And then notice what he says. He says, wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? So he's really putting a little punch to him. He's literally rubbing them the wrong way. He says, listen, I've told you once, I've told you twice. If I tell you another time, are you now all of a sudden going to be his disciples? Because all I hear you guys talking about is how this man is a sinner and how he can do nothing of God. He said, so why should I tell you again? Look at verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he hears. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? So this is something that has never happened in the history of the world. Look at verse 33. He says, if this man were not of God, he could have done nothing. He said, listen, a man named Jesus, all I know is a man named Jesus made this spittle. He put it on my eyes and told me to go to wash. They asked him again. They said, he's a prophet. He's being used by God. He obviously was used by God. You guys are saying he's a sinner. You're saying you're, you're divided in what you think about this guy, Jesus. But he did all of these things. And then down you get to verse 33. He said, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And then look at verse number 34. Their anger takes the better of them. And they answered and said, and thou was altogether born in sins. And dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. If you do a further study of that, you'll see that it's not just about grabbing him by the cloak and throwing him out. They're casting him away from the synagogue. It's all about excommunication. And the progression of this man's understanding is amazing for us to see. 
Jesus is a man, Jesus is a prophet, but we're going to see something else here in just a second, which is incredible. But just as this man's physical blindness was the result of having no synaptic pathway for him to be able to see, no pathway from his visual cortex to the optical nerve, the reality is that from birth, spiritually speaking, you and I are just the same. We have no spiritual pathway to God the Father unless it be through Jesus Christ the Son. And so your story, you say, well, I can see, can you? The Pharisees thought they could see and yet they were blind. If you read the end of the story, did Jesus, at the end of the story, the reality is that the Pharisees who thought they knew it all, the religious crowd that thought they could see everything, they missed the Messiah in their midst. Oh, listen, the reality is that just as this man's physical blindness was the result of that not having that pathway, our spiritually speaking, we, without that spiritual pathway, we can do nothing because Jesus is our hope, he's our joy, he's our all in all. Well, okay. About five. Is Jesus your hope today? I pray he is. Is he your joy? See, we could talk about him being our hope. We could talk about him being our joy, but is that really lip service? Or is that the reality of our situation? Look back at verse number five. It's amazing to me. I, I skipped over it pretty much on purpose to come back to it. But in verse number five, Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, what does he say? He says, I am the light of the world. You know that song, He Lives? I serve a risen Savior, He's in the world today. I know that He is with me, whatever men may say. I hear His voice of goodness, I hear or His voice of cheer. And just in time I need Him, He's what? He's in the world today, living inside of you and you and you and you and me. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, He's alive in living, listen, he's not gone anywhere. I think about, and what's crazy is Jesus says this in John chapter 9 and verse number 5, but he had just said this to the Pharisees in John chapter 8. In verse number 12, he had repeated it. He said, I'm the light of the world. Notice what he says. He says, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. Listen, we get rid of our spiritual blindness when we recognize that Jesus is the light of the world. When we walk in the light of the the living Lord, we lose that spiritual blindness and we're able to walk in the light. In fact, stay where you are, and guys, I'm sorry I didn't ask you to do this, but I'm just going to read in John chapter 1. Listen to these first four verses in John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made Watch verse number four. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light of the world, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 12 and verse number 46, Jesus said to those Pharisees again, He said, I am come a light in the world, that whosoever believeth in me should not abide in darkness. We know from the psalmist, Psalm 119, 105, right? Thy word. Jesus is the word. We just read that. He said, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Oh, my friends, throughout Scripture, you and I are reminded that before, before Christ and without Christ, we are in a state of darkness. We're in a state of sin. 
We're shut up in unbelief, devoid of spiritual things, dead in our trespasses and sin. In fact, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, if you have your Bible, look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Just a few verses here at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Okay, look at verse number 1. Verse number 1. And the Bible says, and you, and this is Paul, he's speaking to Gentiles, that you is Gentiles. He says, and you Gentiles hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the uh, prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And then verse number three, among whom also we... Jewish people had our conversation or our conduct in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, verse number four, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, Jew and Gentile together, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened or made us alive together with Christ, For by grace ye are saved. And then verse number 6, And hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Oh, my friends, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for Jesus. He took the Jew and the Gentile, he tore down the wall of separation, and he took care of it all. Amen? I'm headed for heaven, and I can't help it. And if you're a believer, that's your state too. You're headed for heaven, and you can't help it. Truly, Jesus Christ is the one who establishes sight for the sinner. In John chapter 3 and verse number 16, that iconic verse, For God so loved the world, but pay attention to the very last. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, watch it, everlasting what? Everlasting life. In other words, God, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, watch it, he establishes a new spiritual system of representational intelligence in our mind's eye, in our heart, in our minds. A system that causes us to begin to imagine what it'll be like. It's amazing. And they didn't know I was going to say this, and I really hadn't paid attention. We sang, What a Day That Will Be. When my Jesus I shall see. And he looks upon our face. Oh, that one who saved us by his grace. He takes us by the hand and he leads us through the promised land. What a day, a glorious day that's going to be. Can you imagine? They even write songs about it. You, you, anybody know that song? I can only imagine. See, spiritually speaking, God begins through his word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God begins to create, right, A new system of representational intelligence. We read about what heaven is like. We read about uh, these things, eschatological things. And we can close our mind and we can meditate in our heart about what it's going to be like. But let me just encourage you. Let me caution you. While I love eschatology just as much as the next guy, let me encourage you because the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9. And a lot of times we think we got it all figured out. Let me encourage you. Scripture tells us that I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Oh, all we can do is imagine. 
what it's going to be like. But can you begin to think of all the great things we are going to experience in eternity? The, uh, Paul says to the church at Colossians, in Colossians 1.13, he celebrates the fact that we as believers, Jesus Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness. Amen? We've been delivered. I'm not sure we're excited about it. And yet we should. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. and Translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. This passage that we just read through outlines this phenomenal journey of this man who had not only been healed physically of his blindness, but spiritually as well. His story should remind every believer here of our own personal story from spiritual darkness to spiritual light. It should remind us that Jesus is on his throne. It should remind us of our journey of faith. It should also remind us of our ministry as Christ followers. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8 says that you were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. But notice the last part. We love the fact that we were in darkness. We love the fact that we're light in the Lord. But then we get the responsibility at the end of the verse. It says, walk as children of light. We're no longer to walk like the rest of the world. We're to walk as Jesus walked, as 1 John chapter 2 tells us. Oh, listen. We are those who were lost, but now are found. We were those who were blind, but praise the Lord, now we see. And because we see, we have a job to do, which is why you see faces looking back at you. It's why you have flags here representing countries which represent people. That's why we bring missionaries in. By the way, we had a wonderful, you missed it Wednesday night, we had a wonderful missionary family here uh, that was talking about what they're doing in a remote island of the Philippines. This Wednesday, some of you know him and many of you are on his Facebook page and comment to him all the time. Man, someone we had here a few years ago, you don't want to miss it, Brian Berry, young man going to Ireland, will be with us on Wednesday night. And then as we get ready for missions revival, we got missionaries coming from, I'll be honest with you, all over the world. And we do that because we also know that we were once in darkness. But if you're a born-again child of God, you know that you went from spiritual darkness to the light of life with Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, friends. We need to be missions active. Not just mission-minded. We need to be mission active. That's why I'm praying for God to revive our hearts concerning his mission locally and globally. Hey, there's people in Fauquier County. Did you know that? There are people in Fauquier County. There are a whole lot of people in Prince William County. Uh, I'll pick on Prince William. There's a whole lot of people in Prince William County, people in Stafford County, Culpeper County, Warren County, Rappahannock County. You can just name all the counties who still need Jesus. They're still in darkness. And here we sit with his word in our hands, and hopefully in our hearts. We have the Word, the living God, in our hearts. Oh, listen, we have to be mission active. You see, there's people not only around us, but people all around the world who are still dead in their trespasses and sin. And 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9 tells us that our undeniable mission is to show forth the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Is that what we do? we got to do it. we got to show forth the praises of God who called us out of His marvelous darkness into His marvelous light. 
Oh, listen, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26. He's before King Agrippa. And he's actually speaking about the mission at this point. He's speaking about the mission that Jesus Christ had given him. Uh, and you remember on the Damascus Road and his whole conversion story there. But he's t- telling King Agrippa about this, this mission that Christ had given him to be a minister, but also to be a witness. And he says it, he puts it this way in Acts chapter 26 and verse number 18. This is the mission that he says Jesus gave him. And he says, Jesus had told me to go and to what? Notice he says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Oh, my friends, just like the Apostle Paul, the message and the mission of Jesus Christ has been given to each and every one of us. Just like the Apostle Paul, the mandate that Jesus gave him to go and to open up the eyes and turn them from darkness to light and on and on, that mandate is still binding on you and I today. And the reality is the moment that Paul was given in his life, that brief moment of time, and when I say moment, I mean you can bookend it, right? You've you've seen Francis Chan's thing where he has the rope and he's got the rope and the rope and the rope and it goes on and on. And Travis has actually used that in one of his messages here. And it goes on and on and on. And then there's a little red section at the tip of the rope. And the red section represents our life here on earth. And the rest of the rope represents eternity. Represents eternity. Oh, my friends, the moment, the, the time if you speak, as you, if you consider it, the moment or time that we have to do these things is now. I was doing Miss Gwen Maynard's funeral yesterday. And I was talking about the Lord and I was talking about the fact that Gwen understood that there was an end to this life and Gwen also understood that there were no guarantees in this life. And I took off my glasses in the midst of the message there at the service and I said, and, and, it, and it came to me yesterday morning, I, as I normally do, cleaning these glasses off and um, I went like this, whether it's right or not, Sandy, you can beat me later. I went like this, I went, now just watch. Our life is like that. It's like a vapor. James says it appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. See, what Paul was saying was what the blind man was saying. The blind man was saying, hey, hey, this is is different. This is different. Uh, This man named Jesus, he put this stuff on my eyes. I mean, who puts mud on my eyes? But he puts mud on my eyes, and then he tells me to go wash. And they said, oh, this guy must be a sinner. And then the second time they asked him, he says, no, he's a prophet. But friends... This man understood that the light of the world had intervened in his desperate, impossible situation. Can I tell you that the light of the world wants to intervene in your desperate, impossible situation today? You may be sitting there dealing with something that you think is impossible. Can I tell you that nothing is impossible with God? All things are possible. And that's where faith comes in. That's where we have to believe. That's where we have to exercise faith. You see, by, by the way, let me just say this. If seeing, if, if seeing other people receive their spiritual sight 
becomes a problem for us, if missions becomes a problem for us, being a part of a missions revival or a conference or coming to support missions work at Battlefield Baptist Church or whatever, if that becomes a problem for us, I'm not the one that you have a problem with. The reality is you have a biblical problem. And I don't mean to be the bearer of that reality, but in 1 John chapter 2, look at what the Bible says in verse 9, 10, and 11. It says, he that saith he is in the light, in the light of Christ. He that says he's in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling for him. Why? Because he's in the light. He's walking. The word is a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. So he's walking in the light of Jesus Christ. But look at verse number 11. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not whether, whither he goes. Because that darkness, watch it, has what? We're no different than the Pharisees. If we get to the point where it's a problem for us to see people come to spiritual sight, we're no different than the Pharisees. Oh, listen, if we're truly of the light, then we must let that light shine in our hearts and our lives for all to see. By the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 3 tells us that if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. We have to share the good news. Now go back to our passage, and I'm going to wrap it up. Look at verse number 35. And so they cast the man out of the temple. They cast him out of the synagogue, so to speak, here and... You can do a further study and make your determination. I believe they excommunicated that guy. And yes, that would have required a meeting of the Sanhedrin. We don't have all of that information, but you can do your own study and come to your own determination. But look at verse number 35. The Bible says, Jesus heard after he hears that they've cast him out. It says that Jesus, he went and he found the man. Just like he found us. Amazing grace. You ever sing that song? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus finds the man. They've cast him out. Jesus finds the man, and notice what he asks him. He says, do you believe on the Son of God? And look at verse number 36 and 37. The Bible says, he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee now. And then look at verse number 38. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He says, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. But let me give you a little fun fact. I think it's a fun fact. Look back at verse number 36. Because before he even gets the answer to Jesus' question, how does he address Jesus? He already believes. He already believes. He says, Lord, who is he that I might believe on him? Bro, you already believe because you already recognize him as the supreme authority, the supreme ruler, God of all gods. This guy is already come, when, when he sees the religious people casting him out, when he sees their reaction to what Jesus has done, Jesus in his heart and his mind has gone from being a man to being a prophet used by God to being the very Lord of his life. And immediately what he says, Lord, I believe, what does he do? I don't believe he just stands there and says, 
he drops. He drops and he worships the Lord. Oh, my friends, there are people who need the Lord. There's a song we used to sing years ago, People Need the Lord. There's people all around the world that still need the Lord, still languishing in darkness. We have a responsibility to go and tell them about Jesus. And if you're here in this room and you're watching online and you'd say, listen, Pastor, I've never trusted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Can I tell you something? I want to beg you right now with all that I have, do that today. Do it right now. Don't wait. There's no reason to wait. And the reality is maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. The Holy Spirit might be speaking to you like, yeah, I know I need Jesus, but you're, but you're pushing back. You're pushing back on the Holy Spirit. You're like, no, I'm not going to make no decision for Jesus today. Uh, you're uncertain about what's going on at this moment. Maybe you've held off coming to Christ for some reason. Maybe you think, hey, you're like, man, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do my thing, and then I'll get saved when I'm 80 years old. Good luck with that. Because my mom went to glory at 40. As you know, we've been praying for the Harris family and the Brooks family, Ryland Harris. He was much younger. And he's gone to glory. Listen, we don't have a blank check on time, so maybe you're holding off for some reason. Can I beg you? Quit holding off. Come to Jesus right now. And maybe you're convinced. Here's another one that a lot of people, I don't know why, but a lot of people, they're convinced that they're too far gone. I've done too much, Pastor. I've said too many things. I've done too many things. There's no way that God could love me. There's no way that he could save me. There's no, there's no way that he wants me to be saved today. You're wrong. You're wrong. You've not gone too far. You've not said too much. You, there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing that could stop the love of God in your life. Oh, listen, it was Corey Tim Boom. Maybe you don't know that name, maybe you've heard that name, but she was the survivor of the horrific concentration camps in World War II. And this is what she said. She said, there is no pit too deep that God's grace isn't deeper still. There's no pit too deep that God's grace isn't deeper still. It was our great God and Savior. He's the one. Jesus is the one that continues to create those new pathways of spiritual sight for those who don't know him yet. And that's exactly what he wants to do today. Oh, and can I just say one other thing? Unlike those Pharisees in this story in John chapter 9, God's word, Jesus actually tells us in John chapter 6 and verse number 37, here's what he says, all that the Father giveth to me, that, that shall come to me, watch what he says, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He says, I don't treat you like the world treats you. I don't treat you like the religious gurus treat you. I'm not casting you out. You come to me and you're safe and secure under the shadow of the Almighty. Oh, listen, sight to the sinner is readily available for every one of us but it can only be found in Jesus. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your spiritual condition is, but I know this. I've been around, lived long enough to know that sometimes we get caught up in doing this thing called playing church. Can I beg you, don't play church. Don't play church. Because playing church will not take you to an eternity with God the Father. It will not. It will take you to an eternity separated.
The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. And so can I encourage you? Man, if you don't know Jesus, just ask him. It's really simple. The Bible makes it really simple. As like I said at Gwen's service yesterday, it's really not super hard. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if you know that you need Jesus and you know that you've never called upon the name of the Lord to ask him to forgive you, man, do it right now. It's as simple as that. Believe that he is who he said he is. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. Believe that he wants you to receive him and then just accept him. And ask Him to come into your life. It's really not that difficult. But sometimes that step of faith can seem like a huge, huge step. Can I tell you? Take that step. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. If you're here and you already know Christ, I pray that you would look at this story anew of the blind man who physically receives his sight. But not only that, spiritually he receives his sight as well. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had, God, just to hear from you. God, the reminder that we have to be mission active because there are people who are languishing. There are people who are without spiritual sight. There are people who, for whatever reason, have held off coming to you. There are people who think they're too far gone. Lord, I pray that you would work in this very moment that you would speak to hearts and lives and that if there's somebody in this room that has never trusted Christ, that they would simply in this moment just say a quiet prayer to themselves. Maybe they're at home. And by the way, it's not about the prayer. It's about the desire of the heart to change. It's about that repentance and, and that step of faith. It says, I know I need Jesus. But maybe they would just say, Jesus, please forgive me. Quietly unto themselves. They would just say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. No one had to tell me I'm a sinner, but Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my life and change me from the inside, really, from the inside out. Lord, help me to learn more about you. Put people in my path that might be able to encourage me in my journey of faith. God, thank you for reminding me of my need through this story of a blind man who was physically healed, but then also spiritually healed. Lord, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Help me to live from this day forward in a way that brings you honor and glory. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.